going to enjoy that over the next number of weeks as we, as we learn it together. All right, well, if you have your book, um, Bibles, um, open back up to the book of Acts. Um, so now we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. I'm looking at verses 1 through 18. And before we get into that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just uh, ask him to bless our time together. Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, I'm just kind of overwhelmed, Lord, just by who you are, Lord, our amazing holy God who allows us to come into his presence to, to worship, to pray. You're our Father in heaven who draws us to yourself with, with tender care, Lord. In spite of how unworthy we are, Lord God, your word tells us to come boldly to your throne of grace. God, I know this side of heaven we're never going to fully grasp just how amazing you are. But Father, this, just this glimpse, God, that you've given us is, is enough to amaze me, Lord. God, tonight, Lord, as we come into your word, I pray, pray the Lord that we would just come into it prepared to be affected by it. God, every time we come into your word, Lord, something inside of us ought to change. There ought to be a part of us that is, is touched somehow. That God, when we, when we leave this place, we look more like Jesus than when we came in. God, the, the goal of our life is sanctification, Lord. Your word says so. Each and every day we should look more and more like Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that this time together tonight, that, that you would be here, that Lord, you would speak. That you would allow your word to touch our hearts and minds that, Father, we can be changed. Lord, we give this time to you and just ask that you would move in this place. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, tonight we're going to be looking at um, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible, which is um, Saul, um, which we know is Paul, his conversion on the road to Damascus. And as we get into that, you know, I just want to ask this question, um, how far do you think God would go to reach just one person. How far do you think God would go? And I think as we'll see tonight, um, the answer to that question really is as far as he needs to. <laughs> he will go as far as he needs to to reach his people. You know, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at the story of Philip. Um, in Acts chapter 8, um, we saw that the, the Saul we're going to be talking about today had been chasing Christians out of Jerusalem. Um, and because of that, they were scattered all over Judea and all over Samaria. And Philip himself landed in the city of Samaria and what, what I love about that chapter 8 is we, we see in spite of all the persecution, in spite of their being driven out of the cities, they can't keep their mouths quiet. They're just keeping, they're keeping on spreading the message of Christ, sharing the gospel. I mean, God's doing incredible miracles through Philip, and many multitudes of people in this town of Samaria are saved because they've given their lives to Christ. Um, but we saw last week that God called Philip away from that ministry. Why? Because there was one man. One foreign man from Ethiopia that was on a deserted road from Jerusalem to Gaza, and God knew that man's heart was ready to receive Christ. And so what do you do? He sends Philip away from this blooming ministry up in Samaria to go down and meet this one man right where he was at. And, and Philip did just that. He went down there. He engaged this man in conversation. This man was reading this prophecy about Christ unbeknownst to him. And, and Philip took that opportunity to, to tell him about Jesus and to share this gospel. And this man got just gloriously saved and baptized on the spot. And, and you know, it, stories like that, the one we're going to be reading tonight, I, I just think to myself, how amazing is the compassion of God? That, that he would go to all that trouble just to save one person. 
Well, tonight we're going to see um, an even more amazing story because in, instead of sending some man to meet Saul on the road, Jesus himself comes and makes an appearance and, and meets Saul right where he's at, right in that road to Damascus. And, and the result of that was that Saul's life truly was changed forever. So let's go ahead and uh, we're going to start off by reading verses 1 and 2 tonight. And we'll work through these as we kind of get going here. But let's start off with verses 1 and 2. It says here, um, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And so what it seems here is that Saul um, was the man that the religious leaders, the priests in Jerusalem, had kind of appointed to be the one that was going to hunt down these followers of Christ, these followers of Jesus, to get rid of them. And, I mean, it really seemed that he was doing his job at first, right? I mean, these Christians were scattered out of Jerusalem, but man, but, but then what happened they, they kept on telling people about Jesus, and his message kept on spreading. But it wasn't for Saul's attempt to at least squash the movement. Um, it, you know, Paul said of himself later on in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13 um, that he violently persecuted God's church in an attempt to destroy it. He said he did his best to destroy it. But, but what happened in his efforts was something that neither he nor the religious leaders could ever have expected because it wasn't only that the gospel spread outside of Jerusalem and Judea, but it went up into Samaria. And now we see that it reached multitudes of people in this foreign city of Damascus. I mean, we're talking at this point, we're, we're 130 miles kind of northeast. It's like walking from here to Wisconsin Dell. You're talking about like a six-day journey. And so that this gospel is just spreading further and further and further. And this news really got Saul pretty well um, ticked off. Um, and my guess is the reason he was so mad was because Honestly, his reputation was at stake in a lot of ways. You know, he, as the one who, who was put in charge of kind of squashing this effort, the fact that it was still spreading, I'm sure, did not make him nor his bosses very happy back in Jerusalem. And so Saul goes to the high priest, and he says, Look, I've heard reports that the synagogues up in Damascus are full of these Christians. Um, give me a letter so I can go and arrest the, the followers of the way, he called them. And that, that term, the followers of the way, was one of the first um, kind of descriptions of the first, first, kind of first Christians that there, there were. Um, no doubt, I mean, because Jesus was what? He said of himself, the way, right? The truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. So they, what, a, what an incredible, like, thing to be called, right? A follower of the way, right? I've, I've taken the way, right? I've taken the narrow gate to, to Christ. But uh, so anyways, I mean, these Christians were in Damascus. Now, an interesting note about Damascus, a couple things is this. It was not actually part of the Roman Empire at the time. Um, it was actually a part of what was known as the, the Nabataean Empire, who was one of Rome's kind of greatest rivals for power during this particular time. Now, when, when it came to the Jews in Jerusalem and the priests, um, the Romans actually gave them a lot of authority to, to kind of take care of a lot of their own issues. They had kind of extradition rights in the Roman Empire, so if one of their people got out of line, if they were within the Roman Empire, Rome would actually recognize their authority and, and they could bring them back and put them on trial. But what was kind of interesting 
interesting about this this time in history was that Judea really was in a lot of ways kind of a disputed territory. It was, although it was part of the Roman Empire, it was literally on the line of this Nabataean Empire, one of Rome's greatest rivals. And, and, and because of this, there was a lot of dispute at times. And so if you can kind of get the picture... Um, Paul's taking, or Saul, he's taking this letter to these, these Nabataeans, right, and saying, hey, we want permission for you to, to give us these Christians that are causing trouble to bring them back, right? And the reason they think that uh, they, these, these rulers of the Nabataean Empire would do this was because they wanted to gain the favor of kind of the, the Rome-hating Jews. And so if there ever there was like some sort of dispute or war, the Jews would take their side and not the Romans. And so this is kind of the the, the, the kind of the, the scene, if you will, kind of that was going on at the time. You know, sometimes it's interesting to, to hear the history of kind of the, the, day, the day. It kind of gives you a better understanding of the dynamics. But anyway, Saul gets his letter, and we're going to read about that in verses 3 through 5. It says this, As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around them. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. So if you can kind of get the picture, Saul has his letter. Him and his entourage have left Jerusalem. Um, whether they're walking, whether they're on horses, we don't really know. The text doesn't say, but a long journey, right? They're finally approaching Damascus, and as they get close to town, Paul and the people, quite honestly, with him, like literally get the shock of their lives. Jesus appears in, in all of his glory, and whether, again, whether Saul fell off his horse while he was walking and fell to the ground, we don't know, but when he saw this light, he, he, he went to the ground like a limp noodle. I mean, he was just like, whoop, you know, and it, what's really interesting is later on, Paul gives this account um, of what happened here, like years later in Acts 26, when he was testifying before King Agrippa, and he, and he said this about himself during this time. He says, this was, it was at midday or at noon, and kind of noon, sun's at the brightest right at the top of the sky, and he says, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone around me, and those who journeyed with me. So if you can kind of get this picture, that they're walking along, noonday, here's Damascus, and all of a sudden, like this, this extraordinary light, brighter than anything he had ever seen, kind of comes upon him, and it just completely blinds him. He can't see anything, but he can hear a voice. And the voice, although he don't know whose the voice is, he knows it's a voice of authority because of what he says here. And Samuel, he knows it's either the voice of the Lord or a messenger of the Lord. And so he says, who are you, Lord? But the answer he got back must have absolutely just shocked him to the core because it was Jesus. And he's like, I am Jesus. But he says, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. What an interesting statement. See, see, Saul saw these Christians as nothing more than a bunch of heretics that need to be put down, but, but what he didn't realize was that by persecuting these people, he was coming directly against us. It was as if he was persecuting Jesus himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? See, as Christians, the Bible says that we are the body of Christ. With Christ as the head, we are the body, and when Saul was coming after these Christians, he was coming literally after Jesus himself. You know, as we think about that even in, in kind of our, our modern day thing, I mean, it's, it's still the same truth. And, and it should give us just comfort that when we think about all the things that are happening in our world, all the ways even in our own nation that, that Christians are kind of being um, 
I, 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 I would say persecuted in a lot of ways, not in the same ways they are across the world, um, but in, in a lot of ways, you know, the, the, the Christians are being attacked in this nation because we refuse to kind of bow to immoral ideals and stuff like that. Understand that when the, whether it's the government, whether it's people, when they come against the church, understand they're coming against Christ. When in foreign countries, these people are being persecuted, they're being killed, they're being imprisoned, understand it's as if these people are, are coming against Christ himself. And the truth of it is, is that the people that are, that are doing this, they'd better wake up and realize that whether they want to accept it or not, there's going to be a day of justice. Because although they're persecuting people, they're persecuting Christ, and there's going to be a day that they're literally going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of their lives, of every single thing that they have done. And so as we kind of deal with the world around us, as things kind of increase around us, a passage of Scripture that's good for us to remember kind of in relation to this is Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19 that tells us this. If, it's, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, it says, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do, do not avenge yourselves, but rather, he says, give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so as we look around, as we see, like, it's like, where's the justice? Where's the justice? Friends, justice is coming, and it's going to come by the hand of the Lord himself. Now, as we kind of move on, this is kind of the picture we're at. You know, so Paul has, or Saul has this encounter. Um, so if I, if I say Paul, just know it's the same guy. <laughs> Saul becomes Paul. And so anyways, work with me there because I get, a, I get, a, get a confused sometimes. But anyways, he, he has this thing. He, he's blinded by the light. And now we're getting verse 6 um, through 9. Where it says this, Jesus tells him, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. And so Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. And so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days, and neither ate nor drank. And so Jesus tells Saul that he's going to go into the city. He's going to be instructed what he needs to do when he gets there. And so he goes. And as we can see in verse 7, Saul's not the only one that's shocked. His, his men are shocked as well. They see the light. They hear nothing. But, but Paul, Saul tells them, like, look, take me into to, to Damascus. And, and they do that. But like Saul knew exactly what he had heard. He, even though the men around him didn't understand the voice, he heard exactly what he heard. So he gets up off the ground, and because he's now blinded by the light, he, he, he goes into town, his guys take him in there, and it says for three days, there he sits without being able to see. Just absolutely blind. Do you think, like, maybe, just maybe, he took a lot of time to just reflect upon everything that he had wrong. I mean, think about that. He thought Jesus was dead. He was buried. He, he, he bought into the lie that the priest sold about the disciples stole his body, right? How could this Jesus be alive? And yet there he, he was. Everything that he held true was wrong. And, and just trying to imagine those moments as he was just pondering in his head, Man, if this is true, what about, what, what about all these Christians that I've, that I've had tortured and beaten? What about these Christians that are sitting in prison because of me? What about these Christians that I had put to death? I'm sure that those three days in a lot of ways were just torture to his, 
to his mind. But what I love, one of the things I love about this story is that in this time of turmoil, like Jesus meets Saul once again right where he's at, but this time he does it by sending just a, a godly Christian man to go and minister to him. This man we're going to see whose name is Ananias in, in, in our final verses 10 through 19. And it says you're starting in verse 10 that there was this believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go over to the straight street to the house of, Jeru- of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now and I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, verse 15, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias went, and he found Saul, He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and then he got up and was baptized and afterwards he ate some food and regained his strength. We see here that Saul's eyes were not the only thing that were impacted by his encounter with the Lord. Something inside of him was impacted as well. His heart was truly impacted. So we see Saul at this man's house named Judas where he's seeking direction from the Lord. And while he's praying, God gives him this vision of Ananias. He's going to come and lay hands on him and and restore his sight. Now this man Ananias wasn't like anybody super special. Um, In fact, verse uh, 10 simply says that he was just a believer, just some random disciple just doing his best to follow Jesus, and yet that's the guy that the Lord said, hey, I want you to go and, and minister to this man named Saul. And, and to that, I just say this, you know, God really isn't looking for superheroes. So I think sometimes we think that, like we, we think we, we need to be like the Apostle Paul, or we need to be like a Billy Graham. When God, he just wants willing souls. He just wants people willing to do what he says for them to do. Sometimes it's something great. Sometimes it may not seem like something great. But in God's eyes, it is great if we just say yes. And this man, Ananias, simply said yes. The Lord comes to him in this vision and gives him very specific instructions about um, what he's supposed to do for Saul, where he's going to find him. And if you can imagine Ananias, rightly so, he's like, uh, Lord, are we talking about the same guy? I mean, are we, are we talking about the same Saul who was sent up here to arrest us? Like the same Saul we're hearing about that is persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem? Like, that, I mean, that would be crazy, God, right? I mean, you can't, we can't be talking about that guy. Uh, and yet God was like, yeah. Jesus is like, nope, he, he's the one. He, he's my chosen messenger. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, he's going to preach my message to the people of Israel, but specifically I'm going to send him to testify to, of me to the Gentiles and even to kings. Wow. That guy? Absolutely. Like, like this must have been difficult for Ananias to grasp. I mean, of all the people, why this guy? And yet the Lord had come to the right man because Ananias 
simply said yes. Even if it was something he didn't understand, he didn't grasp, maybe didn't even agree, but he went anyways. Can I tell you something? That's a great lesson to be learned as Christians, isn't it? There's sometimes that God tells us to do things that I don't agree with it, I don't understand it, I don't even really like it, and yet we're in this moment to where do we obey in faith or not? And I love the example of Ananias because it's such a good, good example for us just to trust the Lord in faith and simply just say yes. And that's exactly what he did. He, he went and found Saul. He, he laid his hands on him. And when he did, Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that something like scales fell off his eyes. Um, whether they were literal, literal scales or not, I don't know. By the language, it seems so. Um, it, it, like That's what the word literally means, like a, like a scale of a snake or a scale of a something like that that kind of came off of his eyes. Whatever it was, he could now see, but his physical eyes were not the only thing that was open that day. Saul's spiritual eyes were open that day as well. Through this encounter with Christ, he, he finally saw the message about Jesus was absolutely true. And what did he do? He responded in faith and received Christ as his Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit came upon him. He was baptized and added to the family of God that day. What an incredible story, isn't it? I mean, you think about a guy like that, and yet God saw him and says, I want that one for me. You know, there's another number of things that we can take away from this and learn from this, but there's three specific things that I want us to consider tonight as we think about this passage of Scripture. And the first one is this, is that God truly has the power to save anyone that he wants to. God is not limited in power or strength. You know, I'm pretty sure there's people we've come across in our lives, people we've seen, maybe have known, people have looked, we've looked at, and, and we maybe said to ourselves, you know, whoever that dude is, he's a lost cause. You ever, you ever meet somebody like that? Somebody that just seems so far gone, like, man, it would, be, it would be impossible for them to get saved. And yet, as Jesus once said so well, what's impossible with man with God is possible. And we see this exactly with, with Saul. See, to the Christians of Saul's day, like I'm sure he, he seemed to be a lost cause. I'm sure that that was the last guy that they thought God would save. I mean, this guy Saul was a horrible, horrible man. I mean, he was an enemy of the church. He was putting their friends in prison, even had a number of them executed. I mean, he was a bad dude. I mean, even later on in Saul's life when he became Paul, he was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15 and just listen to what he says about himself. He says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says, Of whom I am the chief. Like he, he saw him as the, himself as the chief sinner of the whole world. And so to the Christians of Saul's day, like, like I'm, I'm sure that some of them there were just like, Man, there's just no way. I mean, this guy's heart is way too hard, and yet what seemed impossible with man was made possible through the power of God. And as we think about that, is, is if God can save a man like Saul, that tells me that he can save anybody he wants to. Like, there is no one beyond the reach of God. I mean, Saul's an incredible example of that. But, but think of another example, maybe from even the Old Testament. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Like, he, he was a really bad dude, and in, in, in Daniel chapter 4, you can kind of read about him, but, I mean, this guy ransacked Jerusalem, burned down the temple, stole all their riches, killed thousands upon thousands of people, and took many of the rest as slaves, and there he stood, sat in, in, in Babylon, high and mighty, looking out, saying, look at all I've done for myself, and yet, 
in a way, this seems crazy, God has incredible compassion on this man. And he gives him essentially like this delusion to where he thinks he's a cow. And he goes crazy, goes out into a field, and for seven years is eating grass like a cow, right? But, but at the end of the seven years, he, he kind of comes back to his senses, and he confesses God for who he is. Daniel 4 and verse 37, he says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All of his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble even the, the proud. Like, if God can humble a man like that and awaken him, to who he is. I mean, I believe Nebuchadnezzar got saved, to be honest with you, right? If God can do that with a man named Saul, who was persecuting the church, who, who himself called himself the chief of sinners, friends, God can save anybody. And we need to have faith in that. If there are people in our lives that we look at and we're like, I just, there's just no way that guy's going to get saved. I've tried. I, I have that girl. I've shared the Christ with him over and over and over again. It's just like they just, they're, they're so hardened, they refuse. Listen, we need to trust in the power of God and pray that God can still move in their hearts. Now some may say, why would God even want to save a man like that? Why would God want to save a Nebuchadnezzar or Saul? Why not just condemn them like they deserve? I mean, it's a fair thought. I mean, if you're thinking of it just from a human perspective, right? But can I tell you something? It's not the deservedness of man that brings salvation. It's the grace and mercy of God. You know, when it comes right down to it, I will tell you this, and I mean this as much for myself as I mean it for anybody. There ain't one of us that deserves what we've, what we've received in Christ. We don't deserve to be saved. We, we don't deserve to be children of God. And, and if God had not done what he did in us, we'd be a lost cause. I mean, do you realize that if, if God would have been like, if he looked, looked at my life and said, nope, that dude's gone too far, he'd have been absolutely justified in sending me to hell forever. And that's true for every single one of us. We don't deserve anything. It's completely by the mercy of God. And the same, the same truth as in the Apostle Paul's life, who was Saul. I mean, it was completely the grace and mercy of God that saved him, that opened up his eyes to, to his need for a Savior. And, and friends... That's how we got saved too. Maybe not in the exact same way. We didn't have a bright light from heaven come. But can I tell you something? We didn't save ourselves. It was the same, the same power of God that saved Saul. It's the same power of God that saved us. And it's the same power of God that can save these people in our lives that we think are too far gone. The second, the second thing I want us to think about is this, is that God pursues people with incredible patience and persistence. You know, in John 37, I want to read a passage here, a couple of them. John chapter 36, verse 37 through 40. And I'm going to read verse 44 as well. But, but listen to what Jesus says here. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no, my, by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, I should, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, so I mean, I, I love that passage of Scripture. Whom God has given the Son, he's going to get. No questions asked, right? John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. And so... 
Christ is going to receive those God knows, and the Holy Spirit draws us into a relationship with Christ. See, one thing the Bible is so clear about is that God knows full well who's going to come to him in faith and get saved, and, and God knows who, given a bazillion chances, will not. And what's also clear is that God will stop at nothing to awaken the people he knows are going to be saved. I don't care if, if they're hard-headed for 85 years of their life. If he, if he knows that 85 years and 364 days that person is finally going to awaken, he's going to get that 364th day of his 85th year, guaranteed. Romans 8, verse 29 tells us this, For whom God foreknow, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the God we serve. With incredible patience and persistence, God pursues his people. You see, from man's perspective, Saul was a lost cause that few, if any, thought God would save, and yet God saw Saul through a completely different lens. God saw a man that if pursued long enough, if, if shown what he needed to see, would see the truth of the gospel and choose to follow Jesus. And to that, I would just ask this, aren't you glad that God didn't give up on you? I mean, imagine where you would be if, if God looked at us and went, ah, they're a lost cause, I'm going to move on to somebody else. I tell you what, I am eternally grateful that God didn't give up on me. You know, I gave my life to Christ in March of 2002, and I can think of at least, at least three specific occasions before that where my life was that close to being taken. If, and if God had not spared my life, I'd be in hell today. But he did spare me, and he did save me and give me that opportunity, and I, and I praise his name for it. And, you know, that's my story, but I'm not... Think about your own life. Like, how long did it take for God to get your attention? I mean, some of us, I mean, you know, we grew up in Christian homes and everything else. That's fantastic, but that's not everybody's story. Like, how, how long did it take for God to get your attention? How many chances did he give you? How many chances did God spare your life from disaster simply so he could save you from eternal judgment and instead of give you eternal life? I mean, think about that. I mean, how amazing is it that even though we reject him time and time and time again, he never, ever gave up on us? See, we shouldn't look at Saul and go, wow, I just don't understand, because if we truly understood ourselves, we'd understand completely. The only reason we're saved is because God is an incredibly patient, loving, and merciful God. You know, what's interesting about this account of Saul on the road to Damascus is that this is not the first time that, that he'd felt kind of the pulling of God in his heartstrings. Um, as he kind of recounted the story in Acts 26 and verse 14, listen, listen to what Saul said. He says, when we, had, when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says that, that Jesus also said this, that it's, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. See, a goad was like this long, extremely sharp stick that was used to kind of get oxen moving when, when plowing. And what they would do, they would kind of jab them in the hind legs to get the ox to, to kind of move. And, and I, I love what um, the commentator David Guzak said about this. He said, essentially, Saul was the ox and Jesus was the farmer. 
Saul was the stupid and stubborn, yet vulnerable and potentially extremely useful to the, to the master's service. And so Jesus goaded Saul in the right direction, and, and goading caused Saul pain. Yet instead of submitting to Jesus, Saul kicked against the goad and only increased his pain. And so what's really interesting about this is that it's, it's kind of the idea here that Saul had been running from the truth for some time now. Um, and what's evident by Christ's words here is that there was something inside of Saul before this point that was nagging at him. Like there was a part of him that, that knew in his heart of hearts that he was wrong about Jesus. Like was Saul in Jerusalem when, when Jesus was still alive? We don't know that. Maybe. Did he, did he personally hear Jesus' teachings? Possibly. Did he see the miracles of Christ himself? Maybe. I mean, he, we don't know how exactly old he was by this time. Some theologians believe so. In fact, some think he was actually a part of the Sanhedrin, part of the Jewish court that actually put Jesus on trial. Again, we don't, that's just speculation. We don't know that for sure. But what we do know for a fact is that Saul heard the teachings of the apostles he saw the miracles that the apostles did. He heard the reports that this Jesus was the Messiah, that he had risen from the dead. He certainly saw miracles that only the power of God could do. He did see thousands upon thousands of people's lives transformed as they encountered this message of Jesus. He did hear Stephen, we know, of his message, because he was there to stone. He was the one in charge when he was stoned. He, he, he heard Stephen cry out, Father, forgive these men. I mean, who would say that? The only other person that Saul would have known who would say that was Jesus himself while he was on the cross. Like, he saw Stephen's face glow. He, he saw Stephen look up and say, I see the, the, the Father and, and Jesus, the, the Son of Man, standing at his, at his side. Like, he'd seen a lot. And the fact is that God had been in pursuit of Saul this entire time. God was revealing the truth about Jesus to Saul in multiple ways. And yet, instead of just believing it, he did the opposite. Instead, went in full rebellion mode. I mean, you kind of get the picture. It's like, it's like there was something inside of him for all this time just going, there's something about this that is real. But I can't accept it. And so instead of submitting himself to Christ, he rebelled completely against Christ. And you know, I think this happens a lot. Like people hear and see the truth of Christ but just don't want to believe it's true and so instead of just accepting him for who he is, they kind of run as fast as they can kind of in the opposite direction. Many times in their running, they almost go off the deep end, get angry when anybody mentions the name of Jesus. Quit talking about that Jesus fellow. I'm tired of hearing about it. There's something inside of them that, that knows it's true deep down and yet instead of just accepting it, they run away. Yet for those God knows will come to him, he will continue after them with just relentless pursuit until their eyes are open, which is simply just the amazing grace of God. And we can see that grace clearly here in the life of Saul. Like even though he was in full rebellion mode, even though he was sinning like crazy, Jesus came to him and showed him incredible grace. And what's really amazing about Saul is that it seems that when he got saved, it was because, I mean, think about this. It was because Jesus himself on that road to Damascus shared the gospel with him. 
Now, where do I get that? Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, listen to what Saul says, or Paul says later on. The gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. It, it would seem that on that road to Damascus, that, that it was Christ himself that shared the gospel with this man. It's just an incredible thought to think about. Like, why would Jesus go to such great lengths to reach this man Saul? Like, certainly it was because of his love and compassion, but the other big reason was that Jesus had a job that needed to be done, and he knew that Saul was the right man for the job. What was that job? That job was to share the message of Christ with the world. In Galatians 1, verses 15 and 16, Paul said this, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. That was his job. And God knew that he was the right man for the job. And there's the third and final thing I want us to see here is that God sees the potential in us and has a purpose for each one of our lives. And when you think about Saul, I mean, this is the man, like I said, that gets renamed Paul, the man that we know as the Apostle Paul. And just think about what God uses him to do. He goes from here, and we're going to see next week, and really throughout the rest of the book of Acts, is really kind of focused on the Apostle Paul. But, but he starts churches all over the Roman Empire. He, he proclaims the gospel to countless people, protects the church from false doctrine that could have destroyed the church, stands boldly against persecution, proclaiming the name of Christ, proclaiming Jesus and Him crucified, literally all the way to His death. I mean, this was the guy that, if you read your New Testament, a huge portion of it are letters that, that he wrote, letters that give us an incredible understanding of, of who God is and what his church is all about and what the gospel is. I mean, we, when we think about the doctrines of the church, the vast majority of them are because Paul wrote about them so well. I mean, the Apostle Paul had an incredible ministry of which we are still recipients of this day. Like, do you think maybe, just maybe, that God knew what he was doing when he saved that man? Absolutely. Because the people around him just saw him as a lost cause, and yet God looked at him and says, that man has potential to change the world. And so God, with incredible patience, with incredible persistence, reached that man's heart, and because of what he did, Saul became the apostle Paul, who has changed all of our lives, even to this day, 2,000 years later. Can I tell you something? God has a job for every single one of us to do. God sees potential in every single one of us. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that, that we're literally God's masterpiece. He, he's created us anew in Christ Jesus for a purpose. You know what that purpose is? purpose is? is to do the good works which he has planned for us to do long ago. While we were running in our sin, while we were rebelling in Christ, while we were running as far away from him as we could, he says, nope, that one's mine. And I know what that person's going to do for me when I get a hold of their heart. And instead of rejecting us with persistence and patience, drew us to himself and brought us to the point of salvation. The truth of it is, friends, that God has a unique purpose for every single one of us. We may not think that we play a very big role in the big scheme of things, but I don't think we're really going to understand the impact that any of us have had in this world until we see it from God's perspective someday. I mean, consider Ananias. He was just a run-of-the-mill Christian 
whose name is barely mentioned, and yet because of his simple act of faith, he went and ministered to the man that helped change the world. I mean, what did he do? I mean, he, he simply in faith said yes to God and went to this man, Saul, laid hands on him and invited him into a relationship with Christ. Something so simple, something any of us could do with any person. And that one act led to Saul being saved and doing what he did. In Acts 22, verses 12 through 16, this is kind of a, a more detailed picture of what Ananias did when he met Saul. Um, Paul said this, a, a man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by the Jews of Damascus. He, he came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. And then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know, this, to, to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. And he says in verse 16, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. I mean, he didn't do anything crazy. He just shared the gospel with this man and, and reaffirmed what God had told him, and the result was Saul was saved and his life was changed. Can I tell you something? We have no idea the impact we're going to have on people. We have no idea that the, the one person we may reach, what they could go on to do for the Lord. You know, that close, I just want to share just a quick story with you. Um, this week I was at a funeral of just a, just a dear brother in the Lord that had passed away. Um, you know, God that meant a lot to me in my life, but at his funeral was a time where people were just kind of sharing some different, some different things there. And, and uh, um, one, of our, one of our good friends that we've known for many years, a gal named Jenny Loomis, she had shared that, uh, that before she was saved, she worked with Lloyd at Crest Foods and and uh, he just kept asking her and asking her and asking her, why don't you guys come to church? Why don't you come to church? Why don't you come to church? And she finally did and, and gave her life to the Lord. Incredible, right? Well, you know what's even more incredible? You know, and uh, my wife worked with Jenny Loomis before I knew the Lord. And Jenny Loomis, to my wife, says, hey, why don't you guys come to church? And invited her over and over and over again. And my wife and I finally went to the church. And the second Sunday I was there, I gave my heart to the Lord. And here I am today. I mean, we have no idea the impact. I mean, praise the Lord, right? We have no idea the impact of just one simple thing. Inviting somebody to church, inviting somebody to a relationship with Christ. We have no idea what God is going to use them to do. God sees potential in people even when we don't. Let's just trust him. Let's give ourselves fully to him, friends, because I tell you, here's, what's, here's something I can't wait to see. Like, I, I cannot wait when I get to heaven. And I, I don't, in my mind, I think this is what it's going to be like in some ways where we, we finally get to see, like, all the dots connected. Like, if, think about the person that reached you. Who reached them? And who reached that person? And who reached that person? And what were all the circumstances and events that brought these people to Christ, that brought that person to Christ, that, that brought this person to Christ, that, that reached me, and then all the dots from me on? You know what I mean? I mean, just think about how awesome that is going to be to see how God moved just from person to person to person simply because it was a person that just was obedient and said yes to the Lord. Friends, if we just say yes to God when he calls us to move, what I'll tell you is we will have an impact on this world. We may not know how much this side of heaven, but I believe there's going to be a day that we're going to see it. So let's just say yes to the Lord, and let's see what he can do. He has the power to save anybody he wants. 
let's just be the ones who share the message of the gospel so people can get saved to have that opportunity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, just for this incredible story of this man we know as the Apostle Paul who was once running 100 miles in the opposite direction, yet you got a hold of his heart and changed his life, and through that changed the world. God, let us be encouraged by that because the truth of it is, Lord, we can all have an impact on this world. Because, God, your word says that we are your masterpiece. You have saved us for the purpose of doing your work, good works, that are going to have an impact on this kingdom, your kingdom, Lord. Help us to see that. Help us to see that that we have way more potential, Lord, to do good for your kingdom than we could ever possibly imagine. And, Father, I just pray that we would seek you to find out what that is, to seek you to figure out whatever it is, God, you want us to do, whatever it is, Lord. Give us the strength and the grace to be obedient, Lord, to that call. And Heavenly Father, I would just ask that if there's anybody in this place, anybody listening to this tonight that has never made the decision to follow Christ, Lord, I want to give them the opportunity to do that tonight. God, your word says so clearly that we've all sinned against you. And and on our own, Father, we have no hope of heaven, but that's why Jesus came. He came and lived the life that we couldn't, not sinning even once, and yet he went to a cross and died. His perfect life was given and when it was given, Lord, your word tells us that, that our sin, the wrath, your wrath on our sin was satisfied, God. The debt was paid. Through what Christ did, he was buried and he rose again. He proved who he was. He proved he was the Messiah and the Son of God. He proved he was our Savior. He defeated sin. He defeated death. God, that's the truth. And Father, if anybody has never made the decision to follow Christ, your word says so simply that if we will simply Accept that we're sinners. Just, just accept that what you say is true. And if we will just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe it in our heart that you raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. God, tonight, if anybody's ever made a decision, let them call upon the name of Jesus. Let them receive their salvation and the forgiveness of their sins and be added to the family of God. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for Christ and what he's done. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we close tonight.